You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. I wanted to thank you for listening to this message from our teaching team, and I pray that God uses it to touch your heart. What a week we've had. Uh, I, I appreciated Justin's prayer. Uh, talking about how God's woven together people here with different personalities and different attitudes and different everything. But I'm going to make an assumption this morning that every one of us is dog-tired from the week. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand if they're tired because I know how tired you probably are. But raise your hand if you're not tired. That's what I'm talking about. So um, here we are. Christmas celebrations are over. We stand at the culmination of the year. This is the last Sunday in the year. So um, if we had energy, we would do a lot of examination of last year. Uh, We've all shared a journey here at New Hope Chapel. We've all had our own personal journeys in 2014. And both of those journeys are going to carry on into 2015. Maybe you had a, a good 2014 and you're sort of hoping, let's keep that momentum going. Maybe you have, uh, didn't have uh, a good 2014 and you're thinking, how can I shift things up? How can we get a break here? Um, or maybe you're just sitting there saying, I'm too tired to think about 2014. I just want to sit down for half an hour. Well, you're in luck. I'm going to let you sit down there and uh, you don't have to do much heavy lifting. Just sit back and listen uh, because uh, I was tired as well. And so I ran out of time when I was preparing. Now, that's just put you on edge right there. It's not what you're supposed to do as a speaker. Uh, but in this case, it's good news for you. So uh, because in my study, I got through the part where, man, this is really good stuff for me. And I, I, that's where I ran out of time and I didn't get to building the preaching part at you. So this is all going to be about me. But uh, you're going to enjoy it. Um, we're going to look at, look at uh, a large number of scriptures for reasons that I'll explain here in just a minute. So um, let's just sit back and listen. Uh, we're going to be talking this Sunday about the building for the future, which not only is the last Sunday of 2014, it's the last message in the series on Nehemiah. And we've had uh, half a dozen or more messages, and they work through the book very effectively. Uh, a, a few of our, uh, a few of the messages included material from Ezra, as well as uh, Haggai, and uh, that's appropriate because there were a lot of things happening around this same time. Haggai wrote during this time. Ezra talks about events that happened around the same time. He's focused on the rebuilding of the temple. Nehemiah was focused on building the wall. Uh, in sort of wrapping this thing up and thinking about this last message, I'm struck by the fact that Nehemiah per se doesn't really include a lot of perspectives on the future. Uh, and so I, I, I took a look around at the other books, not only Haggai and Ezra, but also Zechariah who prophesied around this time. And looking at, at those books, looking at the time period it was, and saying, okay, what would God be interested in in seeing building for the future for those people in Israel? And uh, so I thought we would do that here uh, in this last message of, um, for Nehemiah. 
And part of figuring out, well, what do you need to do to build for the future is figuring out, well, what's going on in the past? What's brought you here to this point? And where are you at this point? Because that's going to affect and determine the trajectory that you need to take for the future. So we're going to look at this broader context. So part of what we're going to be doing is to ask some questions about Israel's past in order to better frame the idea of building for their future and our future, or in this case, my future. I didn't get to the other part. Um, how did God intend the people of Israel to live now that they were back in the land? What principles were they supposed to focus on? How should they do this building? What does their past tell us? Well, Israel had just come from the 70-year captivity in Babylon. We've talked about that in some of the other messages as well. Uh, what was the primary problem that caused that captivity? Worship of Baal and other pagan gods. Uh, listen to the warning from Jeremiah about the captivity. Though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you've not listened or paid any attention. They said, Turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. Then I will not harm you. But you did not listen, declares the Lord, and you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm on yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants, against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. It will happen just like Jeremiah said, just like the Lord prophesied through him. Um, and they went in captivity 70 years. So the beginning of the book of Ezra is when God brought Israel out of that captivity and back to the land. The movement back was orchestrated by God. Ezra starts out this way. In the first year of king Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word, the Lord spoke by Jeremiah. The Lord moved the heart of Cyrus and king of Persia. Uh, the Lord uh, to make a proclamation. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up to the house of the Lord. So God did this. God brought this about. God was moving and working. There's a similar sort of beginning uh, at the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, where, where the king... Um, sent Nehemiah back to build the wall. And at first there were good signs out of the people and they dedicated the temple and they, they dedicated the wall. But it wasn't long before the same types of problems crept, uh, cropped up and were dealt with. We read that when Nehemiah comes back after an absence, he finds that uh, they have allowed uh, Tobiah a room in the courts of the house of God. And uh, what it says in Nehemiah, he says, I was greatly displeased and I threw all of Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms. Uh, also, he saw pe 
people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in grain, selling things on the Sabbath in violation of God's law and, and the law which was meant to demonstrate for them what being set apart for God was all about versus uh, regular life. And he says, what is this wicked thing you are doing desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that God brought you all, all, brought all this calamity on us and on this city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. So you have desecrating the Sabbath here. You have the need, Nehemiah felt, to purify the rooms when Tobiah left. That is, bring them back into this set-apart state. And then Nehemiah goes on to talk about men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Anan. Remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. So I purified the priests and Levites of everything foreign. So Israel had problems keeping this distinction of, um, of holiness toward God and, and toward the things that God had emphasized. Ezra 9 has a similar passage where uh, he finds that the people of Israel, including the priests and Levites, uh, have not kept themselves separate from neighboring people. But he adds this detail. With their detestable practices, you see that was the problem, is in bringing, uh, in intermarrying, the detestable practices, the practices of the worship of Baal and uh, Ashtoreth and Molech were being brought in and the people were adopting those uh, in addition to or instead of uh, worship of God. But they sorted it all out. They appointed a board uh, in the case of, of Ezra's situation to consider each case, and they sort of worked through all that. But both Ezra and Nehemiah were written in the form of a chronicle or diary, a written record of events. By looking at the other two books, Haggai and, and Zechariah, uh, we can get the flavor of what God was saying about this, uh, not simply a record. So in Haggai 1.9, uh, God speaking said, Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. People were uh, discouraged because the foundation of the temple was smaller than that of uh, the days of Solomon, and that discouraged them from work. But he said, Be strong and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. In a, little, in a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth. I will shake all the nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, I will grant shalom. Zechariah has a similar passage that emphasizes a couple of themes. Uh, I myself will be a wall of fire around Jerusalem, he says, and I will be its glory within. In the second paragraph, Shout and be glad, daughters of Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day, and, I will, be, and will become my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Israel doesn't get to see all these fulfillments because they're in God's plan and they're in the future. They were available to them, 
Uh, but Israel, as all of us are, tend to fall short in, in terms of trying to, to uh, fully uh, follow the Lord uh, without, uh, w- without the sort of mixed motivations that, that we find we struggle with too. I can't help but notice the particular emphasis God places on being with them, living among them, and the glory that was to fill his house. And we hear from <clears throat> Isaiah and Matthew that the Messiah was Emmanuel, God with us. He was the Word of God made flesh. Well, there's a, there's a number of verses that suggest that this may be a priority of God's. That he wants to be with his people. You know, back in Genesis 3, we have... Uh, the account of Adam and Eve and the temptation by the serpent and the failure to uh, follow God's instruction. And, uh, and so then you have this interesting scenario. God comes walking in the garden. And he said, Then the man and wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man, Where are you? Because it was man that was missing. God wanted to meet. God wanted to be with, with Adam and Eve, and they were not present. It's a theme of the Lord's. In Leviticus, in the blessings that he's talking about for the land, he says, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, but I will keep my commandment with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you. I like that one where you bring in a harvest and you store it all up and you get to the end of the year and you still have, you know, five or six shelves full of the harvest from last year and you have all the new stuff. So now you have to get rid of, move the old stuff out to pack the new stuff in. A real picture of abundance. Uh, Ezekiel talks about the fact that God's sanctuary is going to be among his people forever. The New Testament has a real different twist on this, though. A huge change. John 14, Jesus says, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to them and make our home with them. So instead of the temple now, the Holy of Holies where the ark is, God is talking about living in each of us in the new testament times now you didn't have to get up and go to the tabernacle go to the temple to be in the presence of or where god was it was amazing enough that there was a place on earth a place in your city jerusalem where you could go and there was god said his presence would be in the ark but now The radical teaching of Jesus is that we, the Father and the Son, will come to them and make our home with them. 1 Corinthians says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Paul says the same thing to Gentiles. Talks about you're not strangers and foreigners anymore. You're here with the people of God. And he said, 
you're built on the same foundation. Jesus as the chief cornerstone. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And you, uh, so in some way, not only are we temples of God and the Holy Spirit, but the collection of the body of Christ as we work together as a body, as we express Christ here, this, the body of Christ becomes a temple for him too. Revelation is where John writes, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. God wants to be with his people and in relationship with them. Uh, That's part... Well, oh. Um, Unplanned. That part of the future God described for Israel and continues to be played out to this day. It says God takes pleasure in his people. God wants to be with his people and in relationship with them. The other interesting part of the future that Haggai and Zechariah spoke about is not only I will be with you, I am with you, I will dwell with you, but he also talks about the glory of God. And I will be the glory in the city. It's the other thing that we find sort of from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture. The same, um, that theme follows through. Uh, Moses went up on the mountain, remember, to get the Ten Commandments. And it says that to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord that settled on Mount Sinai, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. It, it also reads that there's, there were times when the cloud covered the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle so that the priests couldn't do their jobs. As a, <clears throat> one of those remarkable moments uh, when the people got to the the first time, got to the edge of the land and um, sent the spies in. Spies came back with a report. The people said, oh, why did you bring us here to be crushed by Canaanites? We, should have, we could have been sitting around in Egypt eating all this meat and wonderful things. And they go to stone Moses and Aaron. And God uh, intervenes. God talks to Moses and says, let me destroy these people and raise up a whole new people for you to lead. And Moses and God have a conversation. Uh, But what ends up happening is the Lord replies, I have forgiven them as you asked. So he's not going to destroy the people at this time. Nevertheless, as surely as I live, and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of those who saw my glory and who disobeyed me None of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. And of course, they went on 40 years wandering. That whole generation died. And God was true to uh, to that declaration. But God says, the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. I don't often see it. I don't think I've ever seen it. Why don't we see it? What does that mean? I don't know exactly but it says that's true now there's some verses in the new testament that might help flesh that out for us some first of all 
John 1.4 talks about the Word becoming flesh and make His dwelling among us. Well, that connects with the idea of God wanting to dwell with His people. But John goes on to say, we have seen His glory. Hebrews, yeah, God wants to transform the lives of people to reflect His glory. What happened? The the fonts went funny. I'm sorry. Uh, I have forgiven them. This is the passage I just read. It's kind of unreadable up there. Uh, Hebrews 1.3, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Thank goodness. Back to Ariel. John 17, I have given them the glory that you gave me. This is Jesus praying to the Father. I've given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, and I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. We're getting the same glory that Jesus had. We're sharing in the glory. An interesting twist on that is the, um, because of this glory, we're, that's supposed to produce a oneness, a unique oneness that isn't like a bunch of people getting together and agreeing, yeah, we want to be a team and we want to beat those people. Not something you explain in human terms, but something that you can't explain in terms other than God. Because that unity is supposed to, uh, the world is supposed to see that and say, uh, gee, God sent them. Because we can't explain this any other way. Isn't that an interesting connection with, with glory? And then Romans, Paul talking about suffering uh, and suffering of us and suffering of the creation. He said, I consider our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation in hope that it will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of of the children of God. So the creation wants the freedom from decay, the freedom and the glory that we have as children of God. And then finally, in, uh, or next to finally, in 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about all of us who reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image. So the glory that's been given to us is a transforming power. Not worthy uh, is uh, reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing degrees of glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it's progressive. It's part of the transformation process. It's part of the process where we become more and more like God. Christ-likeness with us. That word transformed here, this is NIV, I think, 
I don't know what the New American Standard Version has. King James has changed, the word changed, but it's really a, a Greek word that has a very familiar parallel in English. In English, we have the word metamorphosis, and it's that same kind of word, and you're familiar with that. That's when an ugly caterpillar that nobody wants touching them uh, uh, creates and entombs itself in a chrysalis, and over time, that tr a transformation happens within there. So the worm that went in now comes out as a butterfly that everybody wants to touch. Metamorphosis, a complete transformation. And sort of the final thought on this glory is in uh, also in 2 Corinthians. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So it can be no mistake <laughs> that what happens in us uh, that's good is not due to us doing it because we still are, are clay. We're just that ordinary clay pot that's not worthy of what it's contained, what's contained in it. An interesting connection with glory and with light and, and the, what God is trying to do in this world. Well, as I took a look at these verses and sort of summarized them, I sort of wondered, okay, what's my response? Good, we've got good text here. Um, first of all, God wants to be with his people and in relationship with him. He desperately wanted to be in relationship with the people of Nehemiah's day. And God wants to transform the lives of his people to reflect his glory. He wanted Israel to be the nation that would cause other nations to be jealous about God and who he was and to come, and as, as the prophecy about Christ is, the light to the Gentiles. That was his ultimate goal all along, to bring that light to the world. So I had to think, well, what's my plan for 2005? Next year, on this particular Sunday, just gotten through Christmas, where would I like to be that's different than where I am now? And I thought, first of all, okay, if God wants to be in relationship with his people, and the New Testament's real clear, he wants to be in relationship with me, then I, I want to be with God. I, yeah, I want that. I want that relationship. How much focus... Am I going to put on God this year? There's two great pictures in the New Testament. Jesus used one, and he said, I'm the vine, and you're the branches. Unless you abide in me, you're not going to produce fruit. You're going to be a worthless vine if you're not connected to me. You're going to die if you're not connected to the main vine which has the root. And, you know, you're no good but anything, for anything but to be burned. Uh, you need to abide in me. I, it's a great picture for me to think about uh, because a connection like that, you have to always be aware of, always be conscious of. The other picture 
is used by John in the book of Revelation. Now, when I was a child, I used to hear this uh, verse a number of times, and it was uh, always used in a salvation context, somebody coming to know Christ. It's not the context John wrote it in. It's not the meaning John intended for that. You find this verse in the letter to the book of Laodicea. Now, you probably remember Laodicea. They were lukewarm. He says in there, you say you're rich and you need nothing, but you're wretched and poor and blind and naked. And he says, as a, as a solution for that, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Uh, he who overcomes, I will grant him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Interesting when you read it in the context. He also says earlier in talking about Laodicea, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Now, usually that word discipline is not used when talking about people that don't know the Lord, don't believe, and that believe and become saved. It's used a number of times about God disciplines his sons. He's a good father and he'll make sure that, uh, that he works with you and brings you along so uh he stands at the door and knocks because he wants to come in and sit down and have a meal with you at what a rich picture uh for just wanting to be with god now there's probably a dozen ways that i can have a little action plan to sort of go after that but uh, you know i'm not gonna talk about any of that just the principle that's what I'd like to be a year from now to say, you know, this has been a year. We had all this stuff happened, but I really, I was with God. I really felt that during this year. The second one is, if God wants to transform the lives of his people, Israel, to reflect his glory, and we know from the New Testament, it's very clear, God wants to transform our lives to reflect his glory, then what am I going to do to assist God in the transformation process? I want to participate with God in my transformation. I'm going to change my thinking about, hopefully, all the things in my life and what's going on so that my thinking is, okay, God's in the process of transforming me. How in this moment, how in this situation... Can I um, do what I know to be the right thing? How can I be more loving? How can I be more forgiving? How can I uh, be more encouraging to other people? How can I be thinking less about, well, for me, it's, you know, gee, I've got to go to another event, all these people. But how can I be thinking instead, oh, I'm going to this place, uh, is there someone there I can encourage? Is there someone there that I can, you know, uh, sort of help along some way? Or, or be the one in that scenario 
to, to mention the spiritual side of an issue. I, you know, I don't know. Again, there's a dozens of ways to sort of work this out. But that's the principle I want to do. So next year at this time, I want to be thinking to myself, yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm in a little different place spiritually. I feel like, you know, I'm, I do this more often. And I like that. I have a purpose with the places I go and the people I talk to. I don't know if you remember or have ever played with uh, the Light Bright. Way back before L-I-T-E was cool. Uh, 1967, it was originally introduced. But it has a light behind the panel. You don't see it. But when you plug colored pegs into the hole, they light up. And using different colored pegs, you can make pictures and designs and so on. Well, you know, getting back to that idea of the Lord's glory filling the earth, one way I could imagine it is it's like a big light bright screen. His glory's there. But what he needs are people to abide in him, to plug in, to want to be with God, And it's through us individually that his glory can come out. And it's through us as a, as a body of Christ that it's going to come out. Now, God's going to bring glory out from the body of Christ. He's going to do it. We're just clay jars. But there are things we can do to obstruct that. There are things we can do to not assist that. But God's going to do what, uh, and, and, and do across the earth what he's going to do. I do want to be a part there. And so as we know him, abide in him, he's in the process of transforming us into his image, in the process of making us better displays of his glory. Because he says we have his glory, and he's going to work with that. The power's his, it's not ours. Uh, but that's what I want to do this year. At least that's what I want to be different a year from now. And I'm going to be working on that. How I can be with God and how I can participate with God in my transformation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the marvelous love you have for me and for the folks in this room and for the world. Uh, Lord, I want to be part of your kingdom. I want to be part of what you're doing. Uh, Help show me the way uh, day by day how I can make do that and make a difference for you in your name amen thank you for listening to new hope chapel's podcast located in arnold maryland new hope chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of christ that spans across the world we're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like jesus while we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church our main desire is to be god's church to love him follow him to learn from him to let him lead us and change our lives. We are his disciples and he is our rabbi. rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.